Daniel chapter 9, and we left off last year in verse 20. Let's read, let's read uh, from verse 20 through the end of the, of the chapter um, with no promises on how far we may actually make it. <clears throat> While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. And at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out. And I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the, the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree is poured out on the desolator. If you look at different commentaries, they're going to almost be in 100% agreement on this passage. And I know that may surprise you, but what they agree on is that it is a difficult passage. <laughs> As a matter of fact, even going back to the year 400 A.D., one of, one of the church fathers, Jerome, who, who, is the, who translated the Greek New Testament into Latin. By then, Latin was the, the primary language. But, but Jerome said, because it is unsafe to pass judgment on the opinions of great teachers of the church and to set one above, I shall simply repeat the view of each and leave it to the reader's judgment as to whose explanation ought to be followed. I love that. It's very comfortable to sit on the fence and say, okay, and if you, and if you look around, if you gather numerous commentaries, you're going to find out that not everyone agrees on how to interpret this. It's almost to the point where not anyone agrees on how to interpret it. And so um, uh, Ian Duguid says that Jerome, after you know, writing that, he went on to list nine conflicting opinions on the meaning of these verses. 
And that was, uh, my math is failing me, over 1,600 years ago. And, and I'm pretty sure there's at least nine more, you know, different views you could add to it now if you take the different little nuances uh, from, from each word. But they will also agree that the key is to focus on what is clear. Don't, don't, don't use the unclear. Use the clear to uh, determine what is, you know, the rest of it. So what is... Hermeneutics 101, the, the topic, Biblical Interpretation 101, the, most, the three most important things in Biblical interpretation. That's almost a contradiction, right? <clears throat> but you're used to that. Okay, I told you this, but that was last year. Like real estate, they say the three most important things are location, location, location. In hermeneutics, the most important thing is context, context, context. What is the context of this? Daniel reminds us in verse 20, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin. So, so picture Daniel on his knees or standing facing Jerusalem, Praying? Why was he praying? I know it's only been two weeks since we went over this, but um, I had to kind of review in my in my mind what, what, where, where did this happen? When did this happen? How did this happen? Daniel in chapter nine he 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 began by saying, "In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the Mede, who who had been made king over the Babylonian." Um, uh, portion of the Mede and Persian Empire, that Daniel was what? He was reading Scripture. He was reading Jeremiah. And it said that he perceived in the books or, or in Jeremiah that the exile would last 70 years. So, so the context for Daniel, for, for this visit from Gabriel this vision, this announcement about the 70 weeks or 77s that we'll see was Daniel's prayer. And while he was praying, as he was he's sending his plea up to God, said this man Gabriel, not a literal man, but one who appeared as a man, an angel, Gabriel, who had appeared to Daniel back in chapter 8, which was about 12 years before chapter 9, Gabriel appeared to him and, and, and told him these things. But what had Daniel read in Jeremiah? This is a, a, a good um, time to just go back and, and see. Daniel was reading Scripture, and, and, and all of a sudden he, he, he got to these portions that, boom, this stuff jumped out at him. Well, what was it? Okay, Daniel, at Jeremiah 25, in verse 12, he said, Then, well, let's go to verse 11. This whole land shall be a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Jeremiah was talking about Israel, Judah, that they would be a, a ruin and a waste. The, the king of Babylon would come and destroy the, the city, destroy the temple. Verse 12, then after 70 years are complete, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation and the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquities. 
declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So Daniel read that in 70 years, God was going to punish Babylon. What had happened at the end of chapter 5? I mean, Daniel's, he goes to 5, then 6, and 7, and 8. But if we go back, chapter 5 is, is, is closer to the, the beginning of chapter 9 than, than anything else. The Medes and Persians had taken over Babylon. What Daniel's reading Jeremiah, he said, Jeremiah foretold this, prophesied this word from the Lord that, that God was going to punish the king of Babylon, and that's happened. Now, have you ever read in Scripture and thought, oh my goodness, this is, this is talking to me. You know, maybe it's in a time of, of sorrow or loss or, or just, just crisis. And yet, and yet the Scripture speaks to us, the Holy Spirit speaks to us in, in, that, in that Scripture. So I imagine that Daniel read that and, and began thinking, I've, I've got to pray but then he also read more. What else would he have read? Well, that was 25, 26, 27, 28. When he comes to chapter 29, in verse 10, he says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill the promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and from the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from, from which I sent you into exile. So first Daniel read, God's going to punish Babylon. And then he, you know, one night, he's, he's, the queen mother tells Belshazzar, hey, there's somebody here who can interpret this handwriting on the wall. Remember that, chapter 5? And Daniel goes in and says, you've been weighed and numbered and found wanting, and this very night you shall die. And when, when that happened and the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, is Daniel's, you know, does it, what happens when something gets your attention? Your eyebrows go up? Or, or did he get chill bumps thinking, oh my goodness, this has happened just like Jeremiah said it. Not that he was doubting the prophet Jeremiah. And then he, then he read more and said, after 70 years, I'm going to take you back to this place. But, you know, and sometimes we probably rip that Jeremiah 29, 11 out of context and put it on a coffee mug or a t-shirt or whatever. I mean, it's not that God's not talking to us, but he was talking to Israel about that, the plans that I have for you. But he also said, we, we want to just think of God says he has a plan for us and he knows our, 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 our future and his plans for welfare. We should keep going in on the backside of the coffee cup, put verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You know, we kind of forget that part about calling on the Lord and that he will hear us. It, the, and, but that leads Daniel to what? To this prayer of repentance that he, that he just laid out 
in the first 19 verses. It's interesting what Gabriel tells him is, what, five, four verses? 24, 25, 26, 27 in answer to his prayer. Daniel's prayer of repentance was 19 verses, basically. I mean, he's, he kind of set the, 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 the context there, but that, that he, the prayer takes up the, the bulk of the chapter. What is clear, Daniel's prayer and how he, and how he praised the Lord and, and how he repented for the people. So, so, so the context of this visit from, Dan, from, from Gabriel says, while I was speaking and praying, after he read those things in, in, in Jeremiah and that he was led to, to confess his sin and the sin of the people, don't, don't skip over that. It's not like Daniel's just praying, okay, I'm going to pray for the sin of these people in this table and then this table and then this table and I'm going to spend more time on this table. Um, <laughs> Daniel says, my sin. He puts his sin first. There, there's probably something in there we need to pull out and, you know, a, and remember. Pray for my sin, my, my confession, you know, confessing my sins first and foremost. So while he's, while he's praying, he says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. When was the evening sacrifice? Well, it began about three in the afternoon and continued about till about six, and then the oblation, the, the the drink offering, and a meal that was associated with with it. While all that was going on, this the timing that it's that it's late afternoon. And I think we get the idea that God sent Gabriel then to to speak to Daniel. But what's halfway interesting or significant about Daniel saying at the time of the evening sacrifice? Or what do I think is interesting and maybe you don't think is interesting? Was there an evening sacrifice going on the day that Daniel was praying for God's forgiveness? Okay, where was the evening sacrifice? Where did the evening sacrifice take place that Daniel's referring to? Okay. A morning and an evening sacrifice of, of a lamb that was unblemished every day to atone for the sins of the people. The priest performed the sacrifice on behalf of the people, so it wasn't like the whole nation gathered every day, you know, that those that were there, many, many, many of them did, but, but it, was, it was the priest doing this for the, the people. That's a, probably not a totally thorough answer, but it's kind of a general yeah, it was, that was part of the Mosaic law. But where did that happen? 
Where did they do that? At the temple. And where was the temple? So what was the state of the temple and Jerusalem when Daniel is praying this prayer? They'd been destroyed. For how long? For almost 70 years. That, that's, that we know the, Babylon, the, the Medes and Persians conquered Babylon in about 539 B.C., the temple was destroyed in 586. So the temple had been gone for almost 50 years. But what is Daniel, how does he remember that? I mean, I can't remember what I had for breakfast yesterday. Daniel. But is it, is it significant or is it telling that now Daniel's been gone from Jerusalem even longer than that? Over 65 years, they pulled, he was with the first group of captives that went to Babylon in 605 B.C. So he has not seen that smoke rising up from the temple. That's a reminder of God's forgiveness of the people and that soothing aroma to the Lord. He hasn't seen that in over 65 years, almost 70 years. Daniel's in his 80s. He would be in this class. Well, he, he would be teaching. He would be teaching this class, but he's, you know, he's in his 80s. There's only one more promotion day, as they say. But he remembers that. What does it tell us about Daniel that he, he didn't say in the middle of the afternoon. He says, at the time of the evening sacrifice, even after all those years, it shows his dedication to the Lord and, and, and the commandments of the Lord, that even though we haven't had sacrifices in over 50 years, I haven't seen them in close to 70 years, he's, his day is still marked by things of the Lord, that he, that he prayed three times a day. Now, there's not a commandment in the Mosaic law to pray three times a day, but he prayed three times a day. And, and he, he, he remembers that sacrifice. Why is Israel in exile? Because of their sin. And, and God had, had warned them through Moses in, in, in Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy that if you, if you do these things... You know, I will punish you. But in Deuteronomy 30, he, in addition to the promise of the curse, he also promised them a new beginning, a, 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 a return after the punishment and exile. But Jeremiah also told Israel that. In, in Jeremiah 31... 3131, easy numbers to remember. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with, your father, with, with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, 
my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declared, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So Daniel read about God's punishing the king of Babylon. He, he read that God's going to take Israel back to Is, Israel back to Israel. He's going to take the captives back to Jerusalem and, 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 and rebuild the city. But then also, God's going to make a new covenant with the people. He, he's praying all that. He's praying for forgiveness. He knows that, that part of, of that restoration that Israel needs to repent. While he's praying, God sends Gabriel. Daniel's praying for fulfillment of these promises. He saw one already happen. God punished the king of Babylon. He saw that happen. Do, do answered, fulfilled promises give us hope and encouragement and assurance that other promises that God has made, they're going to come about just as, as, as certainly as, as those. Daniel, so Daniel, all of that is kind of the context of what, where Daniel is. He, he's, he's praying that. He, 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 he equates it to the time of the evening sacrifice. He's still dedicated to serving God. And, and while I was speaking, Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the first, came to me in swift flight quickly, and he made me understand speaking with me and saying, Oh, Daniel, I have come out to give you insight and understanding. So Daniel, he, he knows those things. He knows that Babylon has already fallen. God is going to return Israel to the land, but God's also going to make a new covenant. And if he kept reading in Jeremiah in chapter 33, he would see where God is going to raise up a shoot from the from the line of David, an anointed one, a Messiah. I don't think Daniel just pulled one verse out of Jeremiah when, when he came to this conclusion, but that he read probably the whole scroll. You know, it's the second scroll. Remember the king, the, the king of Judah had taken the first scroll. He didn't like what it said. So as they read it, he he chopped off pieces and threw it in the fire as, as Baruch is reading it. He goes back and tells Jeremiah, okay, the king burned it. God says, just write it again. And so he wrote it again. And that time the king didn't get his hands on it. And so we have copies of copies of copies, but, but we have that. Daniel had, so Daniel read, Babylon's going to fall. Israel's going to go back. God's going to establish a, a new covenant and he's going to send an anointed one. He's going to fulfill that promise to David that one of his descendants will be on the throne forever. He's praying. That, you know, his head has got to be spinning, that he's reading all of that. But he's, so what did he do? He, he, he prays to God to bring about these things. As he's praying that, God sends Gabriel. How soon did he send Gabriel? 
swiftly. Verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out and I have come to tell it to you. That, that could be, well, it'd be hard to say, okay, what's the most important part of this chapter, of this, this portion of the chapter, but what does that tell us? Probably another one of those really bad questions. God is in control. What else? Does God hear our prayers? How soon does God hear our prayers? There is no lost letter box. You remember the old days when, you know, and every once in a while they'll still find something, you know, in a post office they're tearing down or, or, or remodeling and, you know, they pull these sorter bins out and there's, a, oh, there's a letter, you know. It, it might be a Dear John letter. It might be a letter to Santa Claus. It might just be, well, I never got that bill. And then there it is. And, and, but there are no lost letters, no lost prayers going up to God. He hears them uh, immediately. Now, how soon does he answer our prayers? When he wants to. <laughs> when he wants to. 77s. <laughs> And I think Daniel's prayer request, it's, it's concerning the, the, you know, it's repentance, but also about the 70 years captivity. But we're going to see that, that God gives him a much bigger picture, a much greater answer. That it's not just, okay, yeah, you're going back to the land, but I'm, I'm going to give you a new covenant and I'm going to send the Messiah. And all of these things are, going to, are going to happen. So at the beginning of your pleas, a word went out. I have come to tell it to you. Why? For you are greatly loved. Now, can we apply that reason why God gave Daniel an answer to our lives? Or was that just like select few super saints, Daniel and, and, and you know, Paul? But does, does that you are greatly loved apply to every one of us? How do we know? We just know. <laughs> Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, Paul made it pretty clear in, in, in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived 
once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We are greatly loved too. Does that mean that every time we pray for something specifically, we're going to get our way? I mean, does Daniel... We haven't got into the other... We counted them a while ago. Four verses. You know, but you think Daniel gets what he prays for? Well, he does, but he gets much more than that. This, this, this promise of the anointed one coming. So then Gabriel tells him, therefore consider the word and understand the vision. So Gabriel, he wants, he's telling Daniel, I've come to give you understanding. You're praying for forgiveness so that God's promise of returning Israel to the land after 70 years will be fulfilled, that it will come about. Then what does, so what does Gabriel say? Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and and profit, and to anoint a holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to a coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. Does anybody's translation say something other than 70 weeks? 77. 77s. And, and, and the scholars, the ones that know, say that that is the most accurate translation. The NIV is one that does, that translates it that way. That it's, that it's, the, the literal words are 77s. And, and I think the King James started it and, and other English translations, including the, the ESV, they say 70 weeks. But 77s are, are decreed. What is 77s? If you have an iPhone, there's a calculator on it. 490. I was a math teacher. <laughs> <laughs> So 490-somethings are decreed, 77s are decreed about your, your holy, about your people and your holy city. 
And then there's seven, no, six things that are decreed. What are the six, six things? <clears throat> Number one, and I'm going to try to get them in order. To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. And some translations say most holy one. Most holy. So these things are going to happen in this 490 something. So how long is 70 times 7 weeks? That would be 490 weeks. How long is that? Okay, so if it was 520, it would be 10. So it's between 9 and 10 years. Okay, so if this is 538, 539 B.C., and, and, and say, use round numbers, 10. So 528 B.C., what happened? Nothing. Okay, so is he talking about 490 weeks? No, he's talking about 400 and probably years. 77s, that, that not just little under 10 years, but something more. What's Daniel been worried about? Or not, he's really not worried because he knows it's in God's hand, but he, Daniel's praying for the restoration of Israel back to Jerusalem. God fulfilling his promise. Gabriel comes and he tells him, your pleas have been heard. And immediately I was sent to give you understanding. Is that understanding going to be that, okay, in another, you're going to start getting the people together, you know, to make the wagon train, get ready to go back to Jerusalem? What, what God is telling Daniel is, is greater than that. It's getting into what God told Israel through Jeremiah in, 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 in chapter 31 that I'm going to establish a new covenant. I'm going to, to send a shoot from the branch of Jesse, a descendant of David who's going to be on the throne for eternity, an everlasting throne. And then these are the things that are going to happen. Put an end to transgression, put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. What was Daniel praying for? Forgiveness and returning to the land, but what does God tell him is going to come about for all this? Is this not much greater, just those six things, than what Daniel could conceive of? It's like, I was praying for forgiveness and that we might return to the land just as you promised, but you're going to do all of this? If... Why was Israel in Babylon? I mean, one word, sin. Their, their disobedience, their rebellion. And God's telling Daniel now, 
We're going to finish transgression, put an end to sin, and atone for iniquity, bring in everlasting righteousness. Surprise? It's, it's hard to imagine. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the Word to restore and build Jerusalem to a coming to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall built again, be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. We get to that point and my hands just get real sweaty. And <clears throat> What is he saying? What, what, what does Gabriel tell Daniel? I, I might have stopped reading in, in a bad place. He basically breaks down the 70 weeks into what? Three, three sections. Seven, 62, and then, and then one. From the time that the decree goes out to restore and build Jerusalem to an, a, an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. And then 62 weeks it shall be built again. So seven, if we're, if we're going to say it's, it's years, that would be seven sevens would be 49, did the anointed one come in 49 weeks? Like 480? Not the one that we worship that we know is the true anointed one. So it's like this, that, that the first time period here is it's, it's combined the 7 and the 62 that would be 490 minus 7, 483 years. So how do you decide when, when did this start? When did this, when did this happen? Do, do, you, do you take 4 B.C. or the year 0? I guess there is no year 0. 1 and count back and, and figure it out. Or... You say, okay, when was the decree? Cyrus made the decree in, in 538 B.C. to go. And you're talking about 439. Even if you go the whole four, 490 years, then it's, okay, it leaves us short. So, so what is the decree? Whose decree is it? Is it Artaxerxes? Who makes the ultimate decree? Why did, our, why did Cyrus decree that Israel could go, go back? Why did the Persian Artaxerxes decree in Ezra 7 that, you know, Israel can, can gather all these funds and materials and, you know, do this building? Artaxerxes, what he did with that animals and sacrifice, 
I, I read it this week, but I don't remember what it was. But who made the decree? By whose decree is that? Are they doing all of this? Okay, I mean, those are those are two possibilities of Cyrus and Artaxerxes, but they didn't come up with this decree on their own. It's God's decree, and so within God's decree and to the time that He says. It's going to be exact, but we don't know. How are we going to date God on when he made this decree? I mean, that was a way, long way around saying that you can find different scholars who will say, well, it's, here's the decree, and here's what it means, and it's this. And we got to, okay, we got to work, we got to backdate it to fit this. It's like, no, it's God's decree. When, when God ordains that it happens, that's when it happens. Is it a literal 490 years? Does it have to be? What did Peter ask Jesus? How many times should I forgive my brother? And what did Jesus, you know, seven times? 70 times seven. That means that if you offend me 491 times, I don't have to forgive you. That's not what that means. It's seven is a perfect number, a complete number. And then when you add it, when you put the 10 with it, then it is the ultimate, you know. So, go ahead. Oh, I thought you were fixing to. <laughs> I was just saying, that's why they keep their journals and diaries. So they can I want to stop in verse 24 and spend more time next week. I thought the first part might take closer to where it's like, but there's no even, you know, big church let out early today. So maybe that should be the New Year's resolution. We'll, we'll get into it. So, but hopefully that's enough to kind of, you know, whet your appetite of, okay. What you're going to end up saying is you don't know, and we don't know, and nobody knows. Can we go to 10 next week then? But it's going to be more of the same. <laughs> You're exactly right. But I like what Jerome said. It's like, I don't want to just disparage all these other great teachers who, well, other is a misrepresentation. I don't want to disparage these great teachers by saying that, well, these, these ones are wrong and, and these guys are right. And it's like... So let's just look at what it is and then you decide by. Don't you think that's why we have Methodist <laughs> Yeah, except there's probably, you know, if, if, if there were nine conflicting opinions when Jerome wrote that 1,600 years ago, there's at least nine opinions in here. And I, I have six or seven of them just, you know, depending on which one I read last. Some, sometimes it's that. You read this, oh, okay, that guy's right. Then you keep reading. Oh, well, yeah. But the ultimate is that this was all according to God's plan. And what is he bringing in? It's not just sending Israel back to the promised land, the restoration that he had promised. It's a new covenant and a Messiah 
that God is telling Daniel. And, you know, notice that in, in some of the other visions, maybe all of them, we get Daniel's reaction to the vision, but we don't get his reaction to this one. Wouldn't you like to know? Was he as perplexed or confused? Or Gabriel said, I come to give you understanding. Okay, so next week we'll get back to the point. We'll, get, we'll do, start in verse 24, and we will end ultimately where Nina said, like, I don't know. I have not decided. When I grow up, I'm going to decide which one of these is, is right. Yeah. <laughs> he keeps saying he is, but <laughs> in any other, I almost said questions. I'd rather have observations. Well, I couldn't help thinking this whole time. Forgive me, but because of the Messiah and the promises, the anointed one, and the time of year it is, you ready for this? <laughs> it's a wonderful life. <laughs> Angel thing is just, I would think of, we just watched Wonderful, it's a wonderful Life last week, and I was like, it's a little bit similar, but way better. <laughs> and yes, thank you. It's there, and there are to-go boxes back there. <laughs> Well, let's pray and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we know that it doesn't bring confusion. The God, we, that we see ultimately that Daniel, while Daniel was praying for 70 years, that you showed him that you had a much greater plan, that you would bring about a new covenant, that you would send the anointed one that he would be cut off from his people, that he would die, but by your power he would be raised from the dead and even now has ascended to, to your right hand where he sits and makes intercession for us. God, we just thank you for the gift of Jesus, for the salvation that he brings to any who will receive it. In his precious name I pray, amen.